Welcome to the Volpreneur Podcast channel. Today's special guest is Tamara Heller, who is an entrepreneur based in Shanghai and COO of the digital marketing agency Genius in, in Cell. I think I was pronouncing that right. She helps Fortune 500 companies in Asia and generate leads through LinkedIn. As co-president of the LinkedIn Local Asia, Tamara has created a network of communities made up of LinkedIn lovers, embracing the original idea of LinkedIn Local, getting to know the person behind the profile. Uh, she has also founded LinkedIn Local Shanghai Community, which has 3,000 members, making one of the largest professional network, active networks in China. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. Cool. And so um, interesting with LinkedIn, I, um, I started LinkedIn probably, you know, like everybody, like probably 10 years ago, whatever it started and did bugger all with it. And then I started doing some local networking. So I'd go to networking functions and I'd try to, you know, make some sales. And what I realized was they couldn't afford me. <laughs> and so that came pretty quick after the couple of quotes. So I thought, okay, what can I do? And then I sort of thought about LinkedIn. I thought, oh, I might just try and find some local Sydney kind of customers. And then the, it just dawned on me for some bizarre reason. And I don't even know why you wouldn't. But I thought, hang on, the whole world's here. You know, like I don't just need to talk to someone in Sydney or Australia. I can go anywhere I like. And to this day, probably 80% of my business is now in either the US or, or some other country. So rarely do business in Australia. It's like you can't be a profit in your own town, right? And so it was an interesting way to kind of grow a business. So we started like I think about, I had about 500, you know, LinkedIn connections. I think I'm sitting about 23,000 now. And that took about three or four years of hard slog. So LinkedIn's probably my primary way of generating business. So it's great to talk to you today because it's a really good subject. And most people, I think most people look at LinkedIn and their eyes glaze over and they like the sound of it, but they're just not quite sure what to do with it, right? Yes, that's correct. And I love that you said 80% because I think that's a good ratio, the 80-20, you know, mm. Pareto principle. And that's actually how our CEO, my business partner, got started with LinkedIn. At, at the time, he was generating also 80% of his business through LinkedIn, which caused him to shift his digital agency from e-commerce into LinkedIn services. And that's why we're doing what we're doing today. 100% uh, of my business, of course, comes from LinkedIn because that's, that's what I do. But it's such a great platform and it naturally kind of filters people the way that Instagram or Facebook or Twitter just can't. So I'm really pleased to hear that it's also been successful for you. So in, in China, is, is any of the social media platforms like banned or prevented? Like I, I would have thought Facebook would be a one that, that they, I didn't know whether they can do Facebook in China. I know that some Asian countries Facebook's banned, but. That is definitely a common question I get being in China. The truth is all Western social media is banned or blocked mm -hmm. except for LinkedIn. Right. Even LinkedIn China side, there's a few restrictions, but they're not they're not a particularly big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's what makes LinkedIn so special as well, and that's why we're involved in that particular social media platform because it's allowed here without using a, a VPN. God, okay, right. And so would um, would you happen to know how many Chinese um, users that are using LinkedIn in comparison to, say, the rest of the world? Like, is there, is it, I would imagine it's a fairly big user count. Then, like, Australia has quite a big user count, apparently, on LinkedIn as well. Correct. So in Australia, you guys actually get some cool features before lots of people get them. Like, I think you guys got to try LinkedIn stories before right. other people did, which is pretty cool. But yes, it, it's huge in, in Australia, which is amazing. LinkedIn China currently is the third user base in the world. And in the next 12 months or less, it's projected that it's actually going to be number one. Wow. Because more and more Chinese companies especially are looking to globalize or at least get some kind of international uh, expansion or opportunity. And they know that LinkedIn is really powerful. So if they, get, if they have the right tools, if they're marketing in the right way, if um, they know how to approach international clients using their language or just using English, then for them it's a really powerful tool. Currently, I believe there's about I could be a little off, but maybe about 65 or 66 million users in China on LinkedIn compared to about 160 million in the U.S. So they're going to catch up really soon. Mm. And out of that 
65, 66 million users in China, 5.15 million are actual like big time decision makers. They're usually educated from abroad and then they return to China and they become executives and CEOs or business owners who are actively using LinkedIn every day. So it's quite special and it's very, very relevant in mm. the Chinese business landscape. Right. Really, and, really interesting. And I was going to say with LinkedIn, from my, you know, my experiences that people, it's interesting enough, people freely give up a lot of information on LinkedIn um, that they wouldn't give up on Facebook for starters. Um, so really the person you look on Facebook's got very little information because Facebook doesn't really care too much about your basic information. They've already got that. They care more about what you like and what you do. So whereas LinkedIn is, from what I can see, is always about that profile page, right? Because that's the, really the trick to the thing. If you've got a decent profile page, then you've got a chance. Whereas people rarely look at people's profile pages, say, in St. Lux or Facebook or something like that, right? Correct. And I think that's a good point that most people forget that they don't bring up. Um, and you can look at it in, in one way first. First, think about on Facebook, we are the products. So anything we do kind of goes. And that's why it's not as interesting to look at someone's profile on Facebook. It's more checking out the home feed or groups or videos or what have you. Whereas LinkedIn, they have products. And people choose to use them or they don't choose to use them. However, when people are going to do business with someone, of course, LinkedIn would be the first stop. If you're looking up a business, uh, Google will rank LinkedIn higher than anything when you're doing a search for someone and it brings you straight to the person's profile page. It's basically a modern day landing page that in some regards has taken away the need that you had maybe 10 years ago for a perfect website. Mm. Websites are definitely still relevant, of course, for businesses and they provide a lot of great features and functions. But now most people to even see if they can have a sense of what you do, what you offer or create trust or the initial rapport, they're going to look at your, your LinkedIn. Mm. And so that's why, you know, when people really are thinking about their profiles, it, it must be optimized. It's something that we really help people do because again, like I said, it's like your modern day landing page. And if your, your value proposition or your offer is not clearly understood in the first three seconds, mm. then people are going to leave and go to your competitor or somewhere else. So that that's, I think the biggest differences as far as social media usage between Facebook and LinkedIn. And I think the thing is, too, people got to remember that LinkedIn isn't isn't your um, your re resume as such, unless you're looking for, to be recruited, right? So at the end of the day, it's you got to think like a marketer. I think with LinkedIn, or you got to think at that top line area where they look at and decide whether the photo that you put up really is going to be decent enough, or the or the headline you're putting up. So I think that's the thing you've really got to look at it as a marketing tool, not a, not just a, a rank rank name and serial number kind of thing, right? So. I think that's where a lot of people don't do. I notice a lot of people, you know, that haven't really looked at it in their LinkedIn as, as classic mistakes. I think one of the ones I spot every time is I go there and I try and contact them and their website's not in their contact details. <laughs> Correct. And again, that's another great point you, you mm. bring up. It's not just your online CV, nor if you are looking for a job, should you treat it that way. Everyone must think like a marketer these days. That's why... LinkedIn is so special. That's why people need to understand that we are going through this digital renaissance is what I like to call it, especially during this special year with, you know, the unexpected surprises the whole world got. Everything is online. The attention is higher than ever online. And if people don't think like a marketer or think about the best way to sell themselves even for a job, then their competition is going to leave them in the dust. So, Something that's been interesting because uh, I recently had a chat with the president of LinkedIn China. They were, he and his team were sharing with us that this year in particular, the biggest increase on LinkedIn China side was that there were more job seekers than, than anything, of course, which we're not surprised <laughs> about. And happen. so part of the challenge for LinkedIn China, especially to get more Chinese people using LinkedIn properly and getting better results, 
is teaching them how to optimize their profile or use it in the correct way, how to reach out to potential employers, how to pitch them, just like you would pitch uh, your services or products as a business. So that's definitely something, you know, everyone needs to think like a marketer these days because competition online is fiercer than ever. And there's a lot going on. So people need to take a step back and really think things through. It's not like 10 years ago. Yeah, moving fast. I think that was interesting. I was watching a, a, a new movie called Social Dilemma and it was talking a lot about Facebook and I think they touched on LinkedIn but they probably kept away from it. But one of the things that they said was interesting and it's always been if you're not paying for the product, you're the product, right? And I think in LinkedIn, it's that's a bit blurry because at the end of the day with LinkedIn, you've got different levels of LinkedIn. You've got the free levels and then you've got the paid levels. So in some respects, I think their methodology isn't that you're the product, you're the customer, and at least you can get some tech support when you want some questions answered. I can tell you, like, a, a couple of times I've approached them and they've come back to me and answered questions. It's like, you, and, and, you know, the likes of like Facebook, Instagram, you've got good luck getting anybody. So I think that's one of the important things is you, they are probably not treating you like a product. They're treating you more like a customer. Um, that's correct. Yeah. And I think that's why people like that because, again, like, even for business, if we – if we're traveling, we expect the airlines to treat us like the kings and queens. Mm. If we hire, you know, for services uh, and delegate some activities for our business to, to an agency, we expect them to treat us, us well because we're the customers. And when you don't get that from platforms like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, then anything goes. But when you have that respect for the customer, again, that is what makes LinkedIn special because of course too they want to sell their their services their premium products mm. so they have to have a different approach and philosophy than other social media platforms would have that's a great point so you know and um, like one of the things that I've noticed in LinkedIn and, and people don't realize I think and they're probably in other platforms a similar thing but in LinkedIn it's probably more so is that there are limits to what you can do right so you, if it's at a free level you can only do so much and each level is limits and I think that's probably a good thing and a bad thing because sometimes um, you can break those limits without realizing them but I think they're a little bit more so what do you know much about the limits of how many messages you can do and how many profiles you can view and stuff like that in terms of of that because I think that's one thing people dive into LinkedIn don't realize they're going to pay for an upgrade and then they suddenly get themselves banned or prevented to do stuff and it's like whoa what's going on here yes that's a very good question both my business partner and I, we consider ourselves practitioners. We would never offer LinkedIn services or solutions to people without figuring things out ourselves. So even, even to this very day, yesterday, we were testing things out, testing the limits. Mm. So that helps us to train our staff, and, and that's what we circumvent <laughs> using the, the free uh, version with our team. But of course, when we take a client on, for example, we encourage them to get a subscription to Sales Navigator. Sales Navigator is really special because you do have higher limits, but there's still limits as far as invitations you can send. And depending on the plan you get, uh, let's say somebody doesn't accept your connection request, but you really want to get in touch with them, you can use the in-mail feature and you have a certain amount of credits. So that's a great way to kind of send a cold email without violating privacy mm. terms. People can, can set their privacy settings for that. Uh, if you're searching for a job too, there's particular limits, but if you get like the job search product, then the, the limits, a lot of the limits are lifted in the free version. We found that, it's best to keep what the invites that you send maybe 50 or under per day. And then if you keep sending many, many messages, this is a little secret hack I'll share. The problem is if they don't get accepted, LinkedIn will automatically put a cap on you sending invites period because if people aren't active and they're just, you have all these invitations, the algorithm, the AI might think that you're, you're a spam bot. Mm -hmm. So it's important for people to go into their network and their invitations area. They need to look at all the invitations that they've sent if they're running into this problem and they need to withdraw 
invitations and I would keep it between anywhere from 200 to 400 active invitations that you sent. Any more than that, it, it can get to dangerous limitation mm-hmm. territory on LinkedIn. So definitely, yeah, things like that. But like I said, like if you, if you stick within those limits per day and you're doing all the activities yourself, I think the free version is great. But depending on what people want, what their goals are, I, I also believe the premium products are wonderful too. I, I, I use it myself. So for me, it's, it's definitely a, it's a, a good investment. Value. At the end of the day, yeah. it's like maybe it's $100 a month or it depends on what you, you know what you look at. Correct. But if, Correct. You're not, if you're paying that amount of money and you're using it, then you're getting some value out. If you're paying the money and you're not using it, well, different story. And, and I think one of the areas that Sales Navigator is, is, is quite an unusual kind of thing because it's almost like there's two LinkedIn's. Yes. You know, yeah, it's like you've got this, yeah. other, this other world. It's like, the whole this is a whole different world, a whole different kind of set of features. Um, and it's kind of bizarre when you first look at it because you think realize there's actually two message boxes and there's all these things that are that, that sort of open up a whole new vista of things that you can find. And I think where the areas that I always have trouble with LinkedIn was trying to find the right sort of people. And, and the risk factor is if you sit there and you start clicking like crazy and start connecting as many people as you like, you can end up with a lot of trouble and then suddenly you can't understand why things aren't working for you because you've actually gone over limits and um, and then they've either blocked you or they're starting to like just stop that stuff. And I mean, I get a lot yeah, of... exactly. I get a lot... Yeah, the other interesting thing I get too and I think this probably we can talk about is is the messaging process that people go through. What happens to me is sometimes you connect to people, particularly like um, probably Asian, kind of Indian um, and Middle Eastern to a degree, you'll get a lot of people from SEO and stuff, and then they'll send you this ginormous message, um, <laughs> which is so long. On mobile, it's really long. And I think what annoys me is it's like, I feel like I'm replying back, which I don't want to start the conversation, but I feel like I'm replying back and saying, do you think this actually works? If you think you send someone a massive me- message like that, they're actually going to pay any attention to what you just said. You know, like you don't go to someone in a networking environment and they'd blurb out endlessly for the next 20 minutes um, if you get that long with them even if that walk off on you, um, to talk about that sort of thing. You've only got that, you know, a few seconds, a few minutes tops that they're going to pay attention to you. So, Exactly. Well, nowadays, sadly, but honestly, people's attention spans are shorter than that of a goldfish. Yeah. <laughs> a goldfish is, what, nine seconds, and people's is like eight seconds. Um, and uh, you and I, before we, we started recording, we were talking about Dean Graziosi, who I'm a huge fan of, and you got to interview. I think he has like a particular four-pillar uh, structure, which I like for these messages, and I think that people should follow it. I think it starts with something like an attention grabber, which is very important in any kind of marketing or getting people's attention, because we're always fighting for attention. The next one is like some kind of idea or a problem, a projection you want to make. Next is the storytelling to amplify, I think, that kind of idea or the the problem. And then the final thing is the call to action, which basically the call to action is going to guarantee that you're going to solve the problem if you take the action. Mm -hmm. So if people remember those kind of structures, and they're not just sending this long thing. Even uh, just yesterday, I got a message, ironically, from a LinkedIn agency, a LinkedIn services agency in Europe. And first of all, they obviously didn't target well because it's very clear on my profile what I do and my value proposition. So they should be sell targeting you, to sell you, um, me. <laughs> I still yeah, so they're trying well. <laughs> to sell me a LinkedIn masterclass, which I run over here in Asia. And it was super, super long. It was hard to read. I also tell people use like a blogging style where you're doing space between each line Mm -hmm. because people's brains, it actually tricks your brain if you have that space to keep reading. So you will read something long if your brain thinks it's not long. But all the things they were offering me were chunked in big text and paragraphs. And they also used really what I call fancy words rather than simple words to make it really straightforward. Mm. And it's not that people are dumb, but like we said, people don't want to pay attention that much. They don't have time or they're just not interested. And if you use really fancy words that is going to make their brain think too much, 
it actually tells your, your middle brain that the prefrontal cortex doesn't need to pay attention. Mm. And then it goes to the lizard brain and then it yep. never gets paid attention. Makes to. it right. <laughs> <laughs> so people need to understand that there's like mm. this psychology about it as well. That's why I love Dean Graziosi's structure. It's, mm. it's brilliant and it's relevant. Makes sense. Yeah. I, and I think the thing is that people, I think they forget that, that generally speaking, there's someone else at the other end of that message. So you're talking to a human being, <laughs> yes. you're not talking to a robot, you're not trying to um, get a robot to do something, you're actually talking to a human being. And I think the danger is, is that if you, like you see, that's a great, great piece of advice about using big words, because I think some people try to feel important by using big words and it doesn't work. And and the other thing sure. too, I think, is, is that double spacing idea, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. But um, I mean, that's, yeah, I think the thing is, you've got to think about what you talk, who you're talking to and, and and get start that conversation and and I think I always think about like networking when I'm going up to someone talking in a networking environment you know would they have listened to you if you said something um, and we used to have a, a elevator pitch that said what do you do and we used to, I used to say we can help someone become an international best-selling author in a list in little as 90 days without writing a single word now I could say that pretty quick because I had a bit of practice right um, but if I can't get someone and then turn around and say what's that what do you do then I've got a bad elevator pitch and I think that's the thing that people don't feel is that you've got to you've got to virtually get their attention to start with. And and yeah, I think we're getting very good at scrolling now. Like people are very good at scrolling past stuff and and processing stuff really quick. Um, and so I think you've got to yeah, it's a good way to try and grab stand out from the crowd, right? Definitely. I mean, again though, too, people's favorite subject to talk about is themselves. Mm. And if you can ask them a simple question before you get into things and, and create a rapport, if you ask them how they are. Mm. that's already doing more than what most most people are doing but i think it's also good to get straight to the point and definitely make so to speak your elevator pitch it's all about that storytelling piece that dean talks about and that's mm. something that we like to use for ourselves we like to use for our clients mm. because a story also helps people pay attention as soon as you hear the phrase once upon a time yep our brains are so wired to receive stories that we start to light up and we start to lean in and pay attention. Mm. So that's what we want to do with attention grabbers. That's what we want to do with our elevator pitch. There's even nowadays, um, if, if you know the book to sell is human, uh, there's one particular part that talks about your pitch. And one of my favorite parts was actually the one word pitch. Mm. that when you brand yourself, when you put messages out, it should be so strong that when people look at you, they think of one thing. So for me, obviously, when people look at me, I want them just to only think about LinkedIn. Mm. So when I think about that, I'm going to be very careful how I craft my message and I'm not going to dilute it with fluff, fancy words, and things just talking about me. I want to tell people I have a solution for them and they're going to find it through LinkedIn. And it's interesting actually because when we write, when we do books for people, one of the things is we get them to write a bio and and normally oh, most people, probably five out of ten, maybe more, avoid it like the plague. They won't do it, right? Yeah. That's the thing they put off. Like, totally. I've still got a book just recently published for an author. She still hasn't done that bio and, and it's I think because people get kind of scared. I don't know they talk about themselves, right? Some people don't want to talk about themselves at all. Some people love it. Some people don't. Right. And and I think authors sometimes are that. And the reality is the buyer is not about you. The buyer is about who you do, what you do for people. And the Correct. best buyers in the world are the ones that actually don't really talk about you as such. and might introduce you, but at the end of the day, it's really about how the, you help people or how how you impact people or, or what what's about what's about them. And if they can look at that and go, oh yeah, that sounds like something I'd like to get involved in, then you go from there rather than telling where you're born and you know how you know all that stuff they don't really care about that at the end of the day unless unless they were born in the same place and your chances are pretty unlucky um, exactly yeah. exactly it's a good point and and like you john um i actually am uh i only do it little bits here and there now but i'm a former publisher mm -hmm. and so i had similar clients who never wanted to write their bio because either they were too scared or it was too cliche to talk about themselves. So they felt mm -hmm. guilty about it or you're right. They didn't know, they didn't know how to word things to show people how they're solving problems. So I used to change their mindset by asking them one question. And I would say, how are you 
saving my world. Mm. How are you my superhero with this book, with this message? Mm. And then it helped them to start thinking in a different way as more of solving problem problems, bringing a message that they really wanted to impact the world. And it was not just a book just for, for the sake of saying I, I'm an author. So yeah, mm. it's really good. And I'm glad that you, you brought up that point. Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting. I think they, they reckon the the best public speakers are introverts because yes. they actually think about the audience, they worry about other people than themselves, right? True. And whereas an extrovert will kind of like it's been more about them and and their ego to a degree. And I think that's interesting. Absolutely. It's always a, absolutely. And you hear about these people, these even these movie stars and stuff, stuff, and they go, "Oh, they're introverts. They're very shy outside that what they do. They get up on stage and they do their job, and they know know their job well. But when they get off stage, they're shy as they'll sit in a corner and not talk to anybody. So you always make an assumption these people are actually you know extroverts when extroverts when they're not. Um, so with LinkedIn, um, what do you think is the best way to do lead generation on LinkedIn? Should you? You know, should you just start randomly looking around or should you really come with some sort of plan to start with? Very good question. Actually, that was a big lesson that we learned when we had our first really big project. And it was with a Fortune 500 company. And because so many people are involved, we had to be very meticulous, very accountable, very process-driven. And what we found was it's much better to build a list beforehand and approve it. So whether you're, let's say you're on a sales team and you're going to create a, a prospect or target list to pitch to the rest of the team, or if you're doing it for yourself or whatever, it's really good to think of your ideal avatar client, do no more than three, think about the location that you're going to serve, think about the type of job title they have. Think about the companies you want to work with that are exciting. Don't pitch companies just to pitch them. We should never chase money. Money is just a commodity to provide the basic things in life for us. Um, so what we want to do when we're prospecting is really thinking about who gets me excited. What's their job title? Um, what kind of things would stand out to them on LinkedIn? What would get their attention? When you think like that, then you can start doing your research on LinkedIn. It's super powerful for people who don't take advantage of the search feature. Super, super powerful. It's like a miniature Google. And that way they can start building a list. If they have Sales Navigator, for example, of course they can take advantage of the list feature. Mm -hmm. Or if they'd use the, the free version, the search... Uh, Feature is still really powerful, but then they can kind of copy-paste names and LinkedIn profiles to a spreadsheet and then look at it globally and then start reaching out. So, you know, the more targeted you can be, the more you understand kind of the psychology of your avatar client, then you can start crafting the messages. You can determine your plan, how many people you're going to reach out to per day, um, how you're going to really highlight your expertise and what kind of action you want them to take. Do you want them to book a call with you? Do you want them to come into a, a lead magnet? You know, it could be going to your website, putting in their email. It could be going to a webinar where you show your expertise. So you really, most people, the mistake they make is they don't think of it as this whole kind of ecosystem. Mm, like a customer journey we used to talk about. Like what, Exactly. What? Exactly. They don't think of it as like, you know, a big thing. They think of it as just, oh, I just search and then I start connect, 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 connect. And either they spam people with those <laughs> novels that they're sending as messages <laughs> or they never send a message at all. So they never create a connection and they wonder why they're not having a great experience on LinkedIn. So you're right. It, they have to think more of like a customer journey. It's the beginning of the sales funnel. What should your avatar client go through? And also people need to empower themselves and really think about qualifying, qualify your avatar client. Because mm. again, if you don't do that, you come off with your, your energy as very beta, very disorganized, very even sometimes desperate just to make some money. Mm. And people can sense that. 
they can sense that even through a, a message on LinkedIn. Yep. So if you're well organized and you really impress people, you become the prize as Oren Cloth from Pitch Anything says, you should be the prize that the client should win. But that means you have to do your work properly, your homework, your research beforehand mm. in order to position yourself in that way. And I think that really the nice thing about LinkedIn is it is there. Like you can sit there and you can start researching people and the offset of that is in Facebook, you don't get to know who views the profile, but in LinkedIn it tells you. So the reality is simply by doing research, you're actually generating leads because what's happening is these people get alerted that you looked at their profile. They go back and look exactly. at your profile. And exactly. it's like, and I think that's even at a research level. So what's your belief on connecting to people? Do you, because I get these, connect, every so often you get these messages from people. So I don't really connect to anybody I don't know. And so, and I thought, well, gee, how many people do you really know, right? And I, I limit my, you know, how many people I connect to. What, what's your kind of prescription to that? Do you think that you should just take anybody on? Or do you think you should be really, really particular about who you connect to? Like, what do you think? I recently had a phone call with somebody who used to live here in Shanghai and runs an entrepreneur's community for women. Mm-hmm. She's now relocated to Los Angeles and she was saying, yes, you know, I want more visibility on my posts. I want, I, I want to interact more. So we looked at her LinkedIn profile together and I said, why do you have less than 600 connections? And mm. you've been running your, your LinkedIn profile for years. Mm. How can you run a female entrepreneur group where the whole idea is to connect, to get opportunities mm. when you yourself aren't the model of this. And she said exactly what you were asking. She said, Oh, but you know, I don't really know people. I don't know if I want to connect. And I said, okay, let's put it this way. If you go to a networking party or a cocktail party, are you going there just to get a martini and stand in the corner? And, and hope that know. people <laughs> talk to people, you know, right. <laughs> that already, right. What if you don't know anyone there? Well, mm. you, you have to go and you make the effort. You talk to people. That's how you get to know people. It's not, mm. it's not like we're five years old and it's stranger danger. <laughs> yeah, it's true. really yeah. everybody has value and you don't know what people can offer you and you don't know what you can offer other people. There are so many amazing connections I've made through the most random strangers mm. on the internet. Yep. Um, like when I visited Australia last year and because I, I run LinkedIn local in Shanghai, I connected with all the strangers I could in Australia. And then when I visited and I went city hopping in almost every city I went to, I met those people for a coffee or for a lunch or whatever. And it was the best thing ever. And those people are, are now part of my, my professional network. They recommend me to others, whatever. So people need to stop thinking like LinkedIn is Facebook because, again, LinkedIn is not the place where you're sharing your breakfast or you're sharing your kid's five-year-old birthday. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn is the place where you're presenting yourself as a professional. You're looking for opportunities. They're looking for opportunities. It's like a big online networking party and you need to grab your virtual martini and go talk to people. And that's how you really, especially nowadays, that's how business is happening. That's how we get opportunities. And I think it's interesting because when I was going to networking, one of the things they taught, taught teach you along the line is it's not the person you know that you meet might help you. It's the person they know. Exactly. And so, same thing with LinkedIn. You know, you say, like, I came across someone that was, like she's basically connected to me and I said I didn't a profile didn't really get me but I thought oh, okay she's interesting enough she wanted to have a conversation I have a conversation with her actually have a zoom call and then she starts listing off all the people that she thinks she can connect me with so she starts connecting me to all these different very well known or very active people in LinkedIn that kind of fit within the conversation we just had so she didn't um, just go oh there's a random bunch of people I'm going to connect you to she actually thought about it and in her head, she knew off the top of her head all these connections because she'd spoken to every single one that she'd been on LinkedIn. And I said to her in the end, I said, well, you know, is this a service you do or something? She said, no, no, I just do it because I want to do it. And and interesting enough, like I've come across a few other people in there and she's, oh, I know that person too. Like it's quite bizarre, right? She's like, she's worked her way through like so many connections. But she had no intention of, no service, nothing. She's just doing it because... I think she liked networking. I think she liked talking to people. Yeah. And, and I yeah. think COVID scenario, same situation is that, 
Yeah. There's one thing, I, I don't know whether you're aware of, but inside LinkedIn, the mobile diversion, there's an option that says um, near me or something. I can't remember exactly. It's a weird looking image in, in the app. And you click the button and what it will do is if other people have also clicked that button, it will show everybody in, in the short vicinity of you. I think it's a few right. kilometers, maybe something like that. Yes. And and we've seen it happen at events. It might be a while before you see any live events anymore, but at events right. where you'd actually get everybody <laughs> to turn it on, they could all connect yeah. to each other. And I think that's one thing people don't realize is that's that little thing can sometimes, you can just be in the middle of a city, like you said, like you're in the middle, of, you know, don't know anybody, turn that on. You never know. You might come across someone that's actually worthwhile talking to. Um, and, and that's a really neat way to do it. Plus, you can generate your own barcode in there as well. So there's a couple of things, and they're not very well talked about, and they look weird. They're just a weird-looking button that you would never press. Um, but it's um, it's quite fun, and most people don't know about it. So it's interesting. You, probably in your lo- and you probably use it in the local scenario, don't you? Like you've probably got people. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say in the east, it's much more common to use those kind of features. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who don't know much about China. We're a QR-based society. Mm. Everything we do is, even today, like I went out to pay for a few things, even to get coffee at Starbucks. You just present your phone and there's a QR code and that's how you pay. So uh, for us, when we send a QR code to people in our messaging platform, which is WeChat, um, people can actually extract the QR code and directly connect to LinkedIn, which is super cool. Um, and then we also are used to scanning each other. We are used to turning on a feature like near me. And we've done that for our LinkedIn local events when they were in person last year. We also used to run LinkedIn workshops and we taught people that feature. Uh, that way they didn't have to look each other up on their little laptops (laughs) in the the classroom and be like, what's your name again? They just turn it on and then they can add each other right there or, they could get up and walk around and scan each other. So mm. yeah, that's a really cool feature. And um, I hope it's something that, that the West will start to embrace more. I think mm. sometimes depending on different cultures and societies, people get a little leery about that, maybe even more so than adding someone who's a, a stranger. Mm. Uh, they get, I think they get scared about like what information is being tracked, etc. but we're always being tracked all the time. So I, I just think, say yeah. make your life <laughs> easy right. and I just use team, it. <laughs> the other thing too, really is that that features you turn on and off at your at your function, so you don't correct not on automatically. You have that's to turn, right, which I think is a good thing. It's not something that you correct. If you want to turn it on, you turn it on. It's a bit like near me sort of thing. Like as long as you yes proving it, then you you're in control of what the technology. Absolutely, is. absolutely, very mm. very much so. Yeah. So, um, what's the jacket? <laughs> I was like, look at that jacket and thinking, that's an interesting jacket you're wearing. Obviously, for people on audio, are not going to be able to see this, but on video, you can <laughs> explain it. But um, interesting kind of jacket you got going on there. Yeah, thank you for noticing. I'll set up a little straighter so you can really, really see it. So this is our, our company logo, Genius and Cell. Um, and then, of course, here's good old NASA and a, 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 a rocket launching the space. Um our brand motto mm-hmm. is skyrocket your business. Gotcha. Both my business partner and I, we, we are total nerds. We love outer space. Uh, we like to think that we have a big vision as well, like, you know, Richard Branson or Elon Musk for, for humanity. And we apply it in a social media and business sense. So we got these cool NASA like knockoff bomber jackets <laughs> <laughs> being in, in China. You can get a, a, pretty legit piece for really cheap. And then um, we designed this and I, I sewed it on for us. <laughs> so it's our, yeah. it's our company uniform. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I think I remember seeing a, a, a special on China at one point and they said at one point when China was, um, that they manufactured 90% of the world's fake goods. <laughs> oh, yes. And yeah, no, it's incredible. Like we got this jacket for, I don't know, $20, 25 <laughs> Uh, a fraction of the cost and then even to get this patch like designed and made uh, we negotiated the price <laughs> you can do that in China everything's negotiable and then they sent it within four or five days 
Nice. It's in, it's incredible. You can get yeah. anything here. Super spoiled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually interesting because I've, I've I've looked at Alibaba and some of the other online platforms sometimes, and you go through everything that's there and think, well, you know, there's so many different ideas that you could use for your own business in terms of giveaways or or ways of kind of promote it. That yeah, you are spoiled in that respect because it's right next door to you. Whereas sometimes it can take a month or two to get it. So that's the biggest problem I think in Australia is that you order something from China, you might and nowadays it's even harder, but it could come three months later. And so yes. I've forgotten about it by the time you get yeah, it. Here, so. here it's like next day. Sometimes you mm. can order things and it comes within the next hour or two. It's it's insane. Mm. We are very spoiled here. <laughs> it's almost like having a giant Amazon that you don't need. <laughs> no, it really is. Because, uh, yeah, you're right. We have we have Alibaba um, and our version of eBay is called Taobao. Mm-hmm. And then we also have um, another one called JD. Uh, Jingdong, and you can literally schedule even the day and the time to know that you're going to be home to receive the package. You can track everything. You can even see on your little phone, like where the little truck is going from what province. It's (laughs) insane. Insane. Yeah. Because I know that Amazon, I think Amazon pulled out of China in the end. I think they tried to get into the Chinese market and then pulled out of it. They pulled out because they didn't uh, properly adapt to the the particulars of what is the Chinese economy um, whereas other companies for example like IKEA have adapted really well to the Chinese market because IKEA actually tried kind of like Amazon to use their own approach mm-hmm. but if you list things as like let's say cheap goods or DIY weekend warrior kind of stuff that does not fit within Chinese culture Mm. now because uh, a lot of people are middle class they're very well educated they have money to spend um, and it's super cheap to hire help they don't want to go to a store and think about assembling something themselves Mm. Mm. they would rather relax on the weekend so what Ikea did instead was pitch it as like a European brand, Mm. European style, so that it seems posh, but they call it affordable. (laughs) And if they want, they can hire somebody super cheap to come over, like an old uh, handyman, they're called a a shifu Mm -hmm. here in China. And and for like 10 bucks, you can have your IKEA furniture installed within the hour. So again, like because they understood how to adapt to the Chinese market, they did well. But unfortunately, that um, Amazon didn't do so well. I think only, I think only their ads uh, corporation is still in right. China, still active. Yeah. I mean, they had a, they, they've come into Australia, but I think that's an interesting point in marketing is that you when you go into a market, and it doesn't have to be another country, but assuming that you know anything about the customer until you've actually figured it out is a dangerous thing. Correct. And, and I think. Um, you know, if you don't eat your own dog food, we say in a scenario, it's like if you don't do your own stuff, then you could end up being thinking that you're not even you're not even getting the message out because they're not actually ignoring you because of lots of different reasons. And I think even in America, in Australia, because Australia is kind of you know pretty much Americanized in most cases, that their strategy in Australia will work and Correct. will scare the hell out of the retailers because they um, you know they can't compete with that kind of yeah. branding and that amount of delivery methodology and I think one of the things with COVID is it's changed the way that things get delivered. Once upon a time, the worst thing in my life was the fact that if someone dropped something at the front of the door, by the time I got there, they'd taken off with it and they didn't get you to sign for it. So right. they, you've got to get a, a letter, you know, go get something, go pick it up somewhere or get them to deliver it the next day and make, sh- make right. sure you're home. Now it's the opposite. They put it and they run. <laughs> they don't want to see you they just run away it's like did we get something (laughs) and suddenly that rule which was oh you must sign for it just disappeared right the culture completely changed I'm hoping it doesn't come back (laughs) you know if you deliver it in a certain place then you know unless it's something really valuable and and maybe that's a different story but most stuff you know as long as you've got a place to safely leave it then why not leave it there like why do you have to have someone sign for it and we've got cameras yeah. at the front so we can see what's going on. So it's kind of bizarre the way that kind of things change because exactly. something else changes. But consumer demand, right? Mm. I mean, right now in, in Los Angeles, for example, there's been a lot of theft actually with Amazon packages. Mm. So part of a nationwide strategy and maybe even globally that Amazon started rolling out, which 
was in tandem actually with, with COVID. I think they, they amplified this. They made Amazon lockers mm -hmm. so that people could also have a convenient nearby place to have it delivered, whether it was for fear that their stuff would get stolen if they were at work and it got delivered mm. or just for convenience sake, you know, maybe it's just easier to, to go pick it up because it's on their way home or whatever. Um, so yeah, and, and that's, that's what makes Amazon special in the Western market because they can adapt really well. So I was quite surprised that they didn't really think everything through for the East, but mm. they tried. They were here when I first came to China, and mm. then a, a year or two later, they, like you said, they pulled out. Yeah, and I think that's a, I think that's the danger, particularly with incumbents in the, in the size of China. I mean, some smaller countries like Australia, is such a small country in comparison, you know, we right. don't, we they can practice and they don't spend a lot of money and they can pull out. But in, exactly, in China, it's a big investment and a big, big infrastructure to build to, to fail. So, well, your population of Australia is the population of Shanghai. One of the interesting things about China is that, um, and I watched a TV special a few years ago when they were talking about the fact that China, because China buys so much steel from Australia, not so much lately. Right. But, um, they built entire cities, and and the oh, yeah. cities in a, in China that you've never heard of that are bigger than Australia, right? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. It's it's incredible. I mean, even. This summer, my business partner and I were keynote speakers. Uh, we talked about um, influencer marketing through LinkedIn at a conference. So we went to this cool city called Ningbo, and it's small in that it only has just over 4 million people. So right. comparatively, that's, that's pretty West. small for a China city. Mm. And they're super expanding it right now. So there's, there was lots of construction, but they have these massive buildings almost seem to appear overnight mm. and what they want to do in order to alleviate all the stress traffic pollution from the really big mega cities like Shanghai or Beijing is to entice people to come to these smaller mini mega cities where everything's modern it's brand new great schools great work opportunities super clean and they want people to, you know, either permanently like relocate there so that they can alleviate the big city stress um, or encourage them at least to commute more for work. So maybe during the week they, they live there for work and then on the weekends they go back to wherever it is. So they're also building these incredible transportation systems and the fastest bullet trains in the world are all here i've never seen anything like it until i came to china wow and, and i think um i think that the misconception because you don't see a lot of chinese news and stuff like that you don't even know what's going on in china right. so Correct. It's like you don't really know what's going behind the scenes but i know that you know that in the amount of steel they bought from australia over time and the cities they were building the consumption was so massive you know the, there's so many things getting built so yeah. so do you think that um and it's probably it's not necessarily a political question but it a lot of people, um, you know, obviously with COVID stuff like that happened. Did did Shanghai get affected by COVID? Was it something that they closed off too qu quickly to stop that from happening? I mean, we never really found out whether you know the, the big city like Shanghai would have been affected by something like COVID. Right. So actually, Shanghai. I don't know. I think it's just a really lucky, really blessed city. Even when we have typhoon weather like right now, it never gets super impacted. And it was the same with COVID. Mm -hmm. I think they acted fast enough um, as far as a really large city could do. So they, they closed the city off completely when we were right at the kind of precipice of watching the numbers go up. Um, but here's what people who are outside of China should know. And this is particular and, and special to most Asian societies, especially China. When... The government tells you to do something you do it when yeah <laughs> when but more than that when you're told it's for the greater good uh-huh because it's a collective society and it's the mm. same in japan and korea when you're told that it's for the greater good it really is all for one and one for all mm. so everyone stayed inside uh they all did their part and that's why we were able to flatten the curve so quickly and even still now like they're 
the only new cases have all been imported of people slowly trickling back in from mm. overseas. Mm. There's no new domestic cases. And yet, even though you can go outside with total freedom, we can eat in restaurants, uh, the, the businesses have restarted, people still wear masks. And that again, too, is part of Asian society. Mm. Um, we are asked to wear masks like in the metro or public transportation. Um, anytime you take a taxi or like an Uber, um, that's when we wear a mask as well. But other than that, we we were pretty lucky. Like we were never hit hard and we, we all worked from home. We all did our part. And because of that, it really helped to uh, scale my business more this year because like I said, people people's attention online became the highest it's ever been in the, the history of mankind. And I think the biggest thing that um, people that I found was that Zoom, to, to a certain number of people, they and tickle with it with some of the publishing stuff. Oh, we have a coffee. We'll have a coffee. And I always reckon that was the biggest waste of time ever. Yes. Go, right? Thank you. Yeah, and I hate the thing. So let's have a virtual coffee instead, right? Yes. Doing here. In fact, I've got a coffee cup here. See, look. <laughs> Amazing. And, and and so people were more open to it then. Like they were actually wanted right. to do it in comparison yes. before, where you could sort of. And then because the online webinars and things like that sort of picked up a bit yep. too. So I think the, the whole IT thing got a re kick boot yep. that was starting to fall away a bit, I think. Um, but yep. people were too focused on events and stuff like that. So yes. I think it's a good thing um, that people have, because it's so much time is wasted. Like either the outside, out of, out of city in Sydney. So it took me, takes me a good 45 minutes to an hour to get into the city if I'm wow. lucky. Wow. Right? Wow. And so they'd have it, and they'd always be in the city, almost guaranteed they'd be in the city. And so they come in for a coffee. So they'd come in. I said, "That's half a day gone for me." Exactly. By the time I get there, get back, and then of course I come back in the afternoon. I get hit by traffic. It's three hours return, yep. Yep. and it's like crazy. And I could have met ten mm -hmm. people in that period of time. So I think exactly using it as a tool to have those quicker conversations, I think, is 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 so much better on Zoom. In fact, I've got a a, a podcast interview I did for somebody that was interesting. They have decided to meet at least one person a day you know, and have a conversation on Zoom with them for a year. Wow. So, in fact, they're actually, from what I can see, they're talking to more than one person a day. So they, they just set up a Zoom call. You have a chat with them for about 15, 20 minutes or something, and then they noted on their in their LinkedIn profile that they've had a chat with, you know, whoever about something. And then they cool. circled back and they did podcast interviews with some of the, including me, with some of the people I spoke to. Obviously, some people weren't weren't relevant or whatever right. they ran a or they run an adelaide um networking club where people okay go to networking cool their business got decimated because of this wow. and they pivoted and they actually starting to meet people online but they weren't trying to they never tried to sell you anything they yeah. just generally wanted to meet as many people as they could online it was just an interesting kind of way so so swinging back for a second, if you were starting new and, and even if you're in a new city, what were the first couple of things you'd do on LinkedIn to kind of get started to get them off the ground and get moving with it rather than just kind of go, oh, I've got all these options to do, what do I do, right? What's the kind of two or three things you think they should probably focus on? I think first is really kind of like prospecting no matter what what you're doing uh prospecting to find maybe people who are in a similar industry so that when you relocate or you go to a new city you're visiting um you're able to have people with some kind of common ground i, I think that really helps a lot so for example when i first came to shanghai i i didn't use linkedin the way i do now but i, I use meetup.com Mm -hmm. And I found other writers because I'm a published writer. So that's kind of how I started to actually get into the Shanghai entrepreneur scene because one connection led to another led to another. So I think that would be definitely something to do and, and have a, a good process about it. Um, and then the other would be, I mean, I think definitely the old ways was going to networking events. Mm. But now that things, things are different, um, I would say for people to find kind of an online community. So it could be a LinkedIn group. It could be a meetup group. Um, lots of people are hosting kind of like big Zoom sessions or they'll do like, you know, have a, like a wine talk. <laughs> There's yeah. like a, a, an influencer in, in one of our, our groups, uh, our community for LinkedIn Local. 
and she is known as the wine lady. That's how she's branded herself. She's precious. And she does these like wine chats. So I think she called it like, um, like tip tipsy talk or something. <laughs> so people just keep pouring, pouring the wine bottle while she's teaching them about wine and they're all drinking and, and they love it. Mm. Um, so I think those, that's kind of going to be the new way for people to get settled, whether they're going somewhere new to relocate or, um, they're just looking, uh, if they have the luxury of traveling to a new city or whatever, I, I think that's going to be more of kind of the, the future. So those would be my two biggest tips. And I think the thing is that, you know, world um, time gone past, like you, you couldn't do that. You'd have to go and join. Like for me, I play a lot, of, I play squash like five times a week. So um, if I play squash, immediately after probably a month, I've got two or three new, two, two or three hundred new friends. Um, but that's a lot of work, right? Right. <laughs> a lot of squash. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I play five times a week. So almost everybody, I know almost everybody in that club. There's probably about four wow. hundred members ultimately. But I pretty much know everyone because I play there every, pretty much every night. Wow. And so they know who I am, right? But in that situation on LinkedIn, you, there's so many people out there that, you know, have no clue. So I think, yeah, being really tight on who you are and what you are and then focusing on those kind of people, I think, is the key. And yeah. I think that kind of idea of just having conversations with people and, and with no real intent was an interesting, cute way of kind of getting yourself established in LinkedIn. Because what will happen is you'll talk to somebody and then they'll refer to someone else. So you should talk to that person and people like to help, right? So I think if you just, probably the laziest way I, because I talk about lazy marketing. <laughs> yeah, I like that. 2020 is all about <laughs> lazy marketing for me. So um, it's like if you do something lazy and it works, then, and you can do more of it, right? But if it didn't work when you did it in the lazy way, probably not going to work because you Correct. have to work too hard. <laughs> Correct. So my theory is, well, if you make it a lazy way, let's try to do it the lazy way. So to me, that's kind of a lazy way because... And, and we, I've automated my, you would have noticed when you booked a call, I've automated the whole thing. So at the end of the day, yes. when somebody connects with me, the first thing I know about it is when I see an email saying they've, they've booked a time. That's it. Perfect. Um, and I think that's probably the key to it in my respect. Like you talked earlier about call to actions. Yeah. For us, we always say, look, you want a conversation, here's how you do it. Not are you free, that drives me insane, when I go, are you free at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning? When? What, what country? What time zone? What? Right, right. <laughs> Now, your process organization is very uh, impressive, John. I was really, really impressed. You, out of all the podcasts I've been on, I think you have one of the most uh, outstanding but also really qualifying process. So yeah. well done. Well done for that. Thank you, because I've learned my lesson over time. But, um, but one of the things that we, we actually started, that platform that you went through, is that something we actually wrote? So it's our whole platform that we cool. developed. And we're actually building up a, we just finished building a podcast platform as part of that. And part of that's a guest process. Because I think that's the thing that I've noticed when people go through a guesting process. I've been through a few. And between the Google Docs and the emails that go on, drives me insane trying to just manage that. Um, so what I thought, what was the fastest way to solve a problem in terms of a guest? Make it easy for them, easy for me. Um, and in my preparation, I don't have to spend a lot of time kind of trolling yeah. through emails. It's all there in one place. So I think, yeah. Exactly. Good yeah. for you. Very smart. And we do the same with all of our processes for business. So mm. from one process-driven person to another, well done. Kindred spirit, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I always have to say, if you, can't audit, if you can't automate it, you can't scale it. And so um, if you can't, if you've got to sit there and push it every time, then it'll drive, you know, it'll never work. That's right. It'll fail Amazing. something along the lines because your staff will fail you in that situation because they'll forget that little extra step. Yeah, cool. Um, so you, I think we originally spoke about you doing a mastermind event. Is that something yeah. that you said was coming up soon or is that something you regularly do? Yeah, so twice a month, uh, my business partner and I do a LinkedIn masterclass mm -hmm. where we, we focus a little bit on optimizing a profile, which I think was good for everyone. Yep. But more than that, we focus more on how to not suck at content creation right. and also how to be consistent and uh, target well when you're, when you're prospecting, which I think is, is probably the biggest value. So, yeah, so if people are interested in that, they can find me on LinkedIn and, and check it out, sign up. Cool. Uh, we'll from there, from one of my posts, well yeah. For, yeah, for yeah. Them so they can find you. So, 
It's really, it's really interesting to talk to you. I really like. I could probably talk about LinkedIn for hours. <laughs> um, oh, definitely. <laughs> I, think most, I think it's the most underutilized, you know, tool in the business marketplace. Yeah, definitely. And it's, and it's not that hard to do once you get into it. But I think people just like put that barrier. It looks too hard to me. I'm not touching it. You're right. I think it's it's so underutilized, and I think it it's um, certainly going to change the way business is done. I think if if it because reality is when you look at it, I, I don't know how many active users of LinkedIn now. There's probably at least three, four hundred million. I don't know, but you look at that and you look at the numbers of Facebook, say there's like 4 billion people on Facebook, whatever it is. Right. And you think, but there's a lot of business people out there. There's so much further that could go. Um, if And, you know, probably half those people are recruiters in LinkedIn anyway, right? So, yeah. so at the end of the day, the business people, it's such a almost a fresh market for someone to go after because it's there's not a many, many people out there actually approaching people on LinkedIn anyway. LinkedIn is basically like Facebook was in 2012. Mm. The mm. organic reach is still super high. There's so much value and benefit and what Facebook never had was the power of natural filtering. Mm. If you are sharing your breakfast on LinkedIn, you're going to become a pariah instantly in the profession. You want to see your oatmeal and, you know, lattes. So yeah. that's what's the most powerful about LinkedIn. And yeah, people definitely need to use it. They cut you quick, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, right. You get away with it. You get away on Facebook. You won't get away on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So really, really grateful for you coming along, and it's um, and Thank we you. Um, and maybe we'll talk again soon. Again, something about something about the latest LinkedIn's happening. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me, John. It was a pleasure. Thank you.